0: I'm Rachel Michelle Wilson, a children's book author and illustrator, and I'd rather sit at the kid table than anywhere else.
1: You can sit with me, you can sit with me, you can sit with me at the kid table.
0: Today I'm sitting next to my co-host, Angela Pham Kranz, and a special guest. You might know him from his super fun and informative weekly Gabba Noodles on Instagram. He's a children's book author, illustrator, editorial illustrator, fine artist, and professor with over 10 books and three on the way this year. Welcome, Mark Hoffman. We always start our kid table chats with a kid table snack. Maybe we should start with Angela first. Okay, so as a drink, I brought Gatorade, Um, like the Berry
2: Blast, like that blue one. I think it's Berry Blast. Um, so love the Gatorade, but also, and I know this isn't really, this is really before my time, but I've always enjoyed eating them is the, um, the, uh, do you guys remember this? The oh, Bido Honey? Yes. Oh, yes.
1: yes. Yeah, I know and of it, but I don't, I've never the had Chico it. Chico
2: Stick.
0: It's like peanut buttery, crispy, all sugar. I've never okay. had that one. It sounds right up my alley. All sugar. I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> and these so these are kind of like old school i call them old school vintage candies
2: which i enjoy eating like get stuck in your teeth and so you get cavities those are my favorite
0: (laughs) cavities are your favorite (laughs) (laughs) that's the first time i've ever heard that (laughs) all right mark what did you read uh
1: so i asked um my parents because i couldn't remember i don't remember weird chunks of my childhood not for any bad reason or anything of that sort it just uh, like, I don't remember teacher names or anything of the sort. And so I, I asked them what was my favorite snack, and they couldn't name anything. So I I don't know if this is of the kid era, but this was sort of uh, at least, like, middle school and up. Uh, I brought better cheddars.
0: Oh, yeah. Are those, like, Which, Cheez-Its?
1: Yeah, they're, like, Cheez-Its, but they're, oh, yeah, see. <laughs> I, I had Cheez-Its when I was younger uh, a lot, but better cheddars are, like, less cheesy. I don't know. I'm not, and they're Why thinner. Why you they're go like,
2: less cheesy? <laughs>
1: yeah, they're like wafery. They're more, they're more thin. And there's something about them that I like a little bit better than Cheez-Its. Uh, but I also like overdosed on Cheez-Its when I was young. So that may have something to do with it.
0: So That makes sense. And sometimes yeah. like a subtle flavor can be better than all out cheese.
1: I can see what yes. you're
0: saying. Yes. So does this mean, do you prefer, do you like the candy Reese's? Uh,
1: the candy? Yeah, Reese's Reese's peanut butter cups, Reese's pieces, or Reese's pieces, whatever it is. Uh, I am. It's okay.
0: So the Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah. I have a thin version,
1: and they have a thicker
0: version. Do you prefer the thin version then? Since you like the thinner.
1: I haven't had the thin ones, but I have had thin Oreos, which were pretty good too.
0: Nice. You'll have to try the Reese's thins because we like to put them in the fridge, and they're delicious. Hmm so what i i brought um classic graham crackers that's not the best <laughs> you know the thing is though like everyone i knew loved graham crackers the only way that i really love them
1: oh
0: hey. well what just You're happened back. i'm back You're okay
1: yeah.
0: i left you on a the, the graham on cracker purpose, industry
1: know. came down on you and said that they yeah were, they were like uh,
0: stop <laughs> thanks for watching graham cracker industry
1: <laughs> you get sponsors just graham crackers yeah. in general no brand. seriously
0: seriously yeah. um what was i saying oh the only way i like them is with just a ton of frosting on them just frosting oh, yeah. just right so, out you know those containers
1: so do you like graham crackers or do you just like frosting
0: yeah that's a question you know what yeah really I think (laughs) I just like frosting it's kind of like do you like salad no you just like the salad dressing (laughs) understandable (laughs) yeah no that's a good question all right so now we have a snack we can snack on them whenever we want throughout the chat but um I was curious Mark so speaking of the kid table and kid table memories what was the kid table actually like for you as a kid
1: um So I don't even know if there really was a kid. Now, are we talking kid table like at like Thanksgiving dinner and those kind of things?
0: It could be like the kid table at school, like when, you know, a bunch of kids together, or it could be like the kid table at your family gatherings.
1: Either way works. Yeah. Kid table at family gatherings wasn't really there because I I lived in Minnesota. When I grew up in Minnesota, we were the only family that was there it was my brother myself and my parents and all the other relatives lived in states you know multiple states away and so we never really got together as a big group and so the kid table was pretty much just family dinner table uh at school uh i as i was going through school i i you know school lunch all that kind of stuff sat at the table at school but uh after a certain point uh when I was going through school I tended to just go out and enjoy recess I would eat real fast and get out and so it wasn't really about sitting at the table uh, but mm. I do remember long conversations there about Def Leppard for some reason mm. and I remember Lunchables I think it was like when they mm. first first came out and they're probably looking back at them they were probably disgusting I mean they <laughs> still are hopefully they're not watching uh <laughs> but yeah uh, they'll
0: turn you off too <laughs> yeah.
1: again I have weird I have weird memory like gaps and like there's certain things that are um, uh, I remember really well, and certain things I just don't like. I just didn't save them in my memory bank of any sort. So
0: I relate to that a lot. My memory is like not that great, but <clears> that but the way you described it is like those funny little bits, like the Lunchables and the I can remember like the snacks. That's why I think those are so important to me. It's just, oh, I can remember you know? the
1: layout. I can remember oh. the exact layout of like any building I've been in for somewhere, like a, a good like topographical, you know, top down view. And I can tell you right now, my elementary school, I can tell you how they laid out the tables, every door that was in the room, like weird things like that. But you asked me who my teachers are. Not a clue.
0: And even like the people you were sitting by kind of fuzzy faces, but the layout is clear. Yep.
1: yep. Oh, Layout's that's so cool.
0: interesting. So what did you so the it sounds like you didn't like sitting down. You liked being active and kind of being out. Is that true?
1: Uh, I think at that age, yeah. I like to get out. uh, And, you know, it's Minnesota, so it wasn't like, it was probably freezing cold, but I still (laughs) wanted to get outside. Um, I don't know as I was, uh, the only time I really liked to sit still, I think when I was little, was art class, basically. And that was the, like, focus time. But I think the rest of school, I kind of... uh, uh, shoved off into some (laughs) world I didn't want to be in and and sort of lived in my art world most of the time. So 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 you
2: knew, I'm sorry, you knew at a very young age that, or at least you know what you enjoyed doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, when I was in like second grade, there were, um, there those things where you'd make a little book about like you. And so there'd be a picture of you and little things that would say like, when I grow up, I want to be, and my favorite car is this, and my favorite color is that. Mm-hmm. And almost, uh, entirely through all those that I did throughout the years, artist was in there. Um, there were other weird, funny things that didn't make any sense, uh, or were very topical, like things about my hamster who passed away. And so there was something about my you know I don't want a dead hamster or like some really like weird specific thing that related to that time but (laughs) I kind of knew art was of interest I didn't know I could make it a profession I didn't know until high school about that I mean I I think as you're a little kid it's it's all about painting and and sculptors and things of the sort Mm -hmm. and I didn't know that you could be a kids book illustrator and I didn't Mm -hmm. know there was a thing like illustration in general so
0: same here. You beat me. Like, it took me until after college. I don't know why it took me so long to be like, oh, these books that I love, someone made these. That means I could make them. Like, it's it's kind of funny how the way that we were taught about art made it feel a little distant, yeah. maybe, well, like again, something they, someone else does.
1: Up until a certain point, they show you Picasso, and they show you Van Gogh, and, and the reality that you're ever going to live up to that kind of uh, stature, I think, is slim uh, at best. Okay. And so uh, it took until I got into high school, I had a really great art teacher who was a commercial artist. It was called commercial art at the time. Uh, And so he taught me about illustration and helped sort of push me towards uh, going to school for art. And at that point, then I realized, oh, there's so many other things that I could actually do that are actually feasible. Uh, But it really took him sitting down with me, I think freshman year, really, and saying, like, I know you have an interest in art, but how are we going to sort of uh, hone your skill and get you into a location, or into a school, that will actually benefit you, so, but before that, it was just, it was frivolous before that, for the most part.
2: Amazing that uh, you just take one teacher Mm -hmm. to tell you, hey, I see this potential, and I think you'll do great, and kind of, like, shepherd, and kind of guide you.
1: Mr. Craig, it's Mr. Uh, Craig, and Mr. uh, Telford, those are the two, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. so I remember those two, I remember those two, Um, and they were, they were, like, I wouldn't say they were family friends, but my brother had them and the family knew them fairly well. And they really sort of, both of them took me under their wing, specifically Mr. Craig and uh, his name was Daniel Craig, but it's C-R-A-G-G, but <laughs> it's not the same, it's not the same person, but uh, at some point, I know he's he's elderly at this point, and at some point I would love to get out uh, back to Minnesota and say hi to him and, and whatnot, beyond just like Christmas cards that we send each other, so.
0: Yeah. That'd be so cool. And I know you do, you do class visits and presentations and stuff like that, which, which talking, speaking of like being able to see someone actually create something in the real world that isn't this like dead painter (laughs) in the past, you know, like how I, and so I wonder if you'd be able to go back and do a classroom visit, but I was curious too, like how those classroom visits, how you see that impacting kids like you.
1: Uh I mean at that age I think well it's funny because I the ones that I've done have been relatively local. I haven't done anything that's been far distant, but I go to my son's school almost once a year so far and just do a presentation or talk to a classroom or something of the sort. Uh and the I think it was last year or maybe the year before I went and um it was in a library, there were maybe a hundred kids or something like that, and I read a book and, and showed artwork and whatnot. And then a, a later point, I was at school to, I don't know if it was drop off my son, pick up my son, something of the sort. And I was at the entrance and all the kids were coming in off the playground. Uh, and they saw me and they were like shocked. They were in awe that I was standing there at the front door. And I'm thinking, I like, my son goes here. Like, I live, you know, five blocks down the road. It's not like I'm special of any sort. But to them, that was really exciting because, you know, For the most part, they're day to day in that same classroom, same teacher, not getting a lot of change in that classroom. And so, having someone from the outside, I think, is a special moment. Whether they realize, you know, the job potential, I don't think they're thinking that at that
0: point. Yeah, probably (laughs) not. So later on, (laughs) my
1: resume and see what I can uh, (laughs) I I can look into here. Um, But there is definitely, I think, for those kids that are uh, in need of a sort of. Oh, no, like a, a boost, a morale boost or something of the sort. I think that can be a huge deal to have someone come in and and sort of talk to them or, or answer a question. I know there was I went and did a school visit a couple of weeks ago and I asked a question of this girl and before she said anything, she goes, "I never get picked to ask questions. Oh, and I was nice. like, oh okay and then I, I made sure to ask her twice and the second one she was floored because <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I get two um so there there is a uh it is probably one of the best parts of the job of seeing the kids like actually interact with the book because you don't get that when you're in your studio of any sort
0: no you're just on your lonesome doing your art
1: Yep, (laughs) Yep, pretty much
0: (laughs) which can be nice sometimes too but i'm glad you get time like that with the kids to see the impact you're making and their excitement for just being noticed by someone like you who made that book it's so cool (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Little old me. I'm just a guy down the road, but sure, yeah, yeah. to them it's exciting, <laughs> and they all ask for my signature, and I'm like, you don't <laughs> need my signature. <laughs> That's it's right it's not worth anything at this point. Um, so. One day they're
0: saving it yeah. for one day. Yeah. Um yeah. So you talked about how so you've always drawn, and as a kid, and then you had that those teachers that helped guide you, mm-hmm. and so I'm curious, like at that time, what was your relationship like to books like was were books in your mind at the time was it more a different type of art
1: um I don't know as books I, I mean when I was I would say like when I was in elementary school and middle school it was sort of just following directions and so I didn't really make a lot of art that was for me um you know I would doodle at home and things of the sort but nothing that meant anything at that point um as I got older and I got into high school um I got into probably late middle school I got into comics and so comics was the thing and I thought I was going to be this big comic artist and this is early 90s and right in the era when everybody started collecting comics and so they're all worth nothing uh, (laughs) because everybody has a copy of them um and I tried to do that and I thought that's what I was going to school for I thought I was going to be a comic book artist or a sci-fi fantasy artist uh and I think I was just heavily influenced by teachers in college and so every class I took, all of a sudden it was, oh, I'm going to be this or I'm going to be that, whatever, whatever the subject was. Uh, and I did take kids books, but I, I don't think I really had a big attachment to kids books when I was little. I mean, I had ones that I loved, the ones that I grew up with, but uh, just like every kid. Uh, but for the most part, it wasn't like, oh, that's that's the dream. to be the kids uh person i also didn't have a lot of young siblings around like i mentioned i i was i had an older brother but um so i i didn't have access to like little kids i don't think i really even held a baby until i was like 24 or something (laughs) (laughs) so i didn't have access i love
2: how you were so specific until you were
1: 24. i I remember (laughs) i remember being it was i was at a tv animation studio and our friend uh jenna rogan and steve rogan brought in their son luke who is now 21 22 something like that uh and they asked do i want to hold him and i said sure but i made sure to sit down and let them put him into my arms Mm so I i was so afraid of dropping a baby and now it's like little kids are the best and like i have no problem talking and like getting like once you have a kid it's easier to like you learn to like tone uh, or the the like the way to make them laugh and to interact with them and it, it made it so much easier but uh, when I was growing up I had no access to that so like little kids I kind of like I think didn't even consider the idea of doing little kids or, or children's illustration of any sort So
0: yeah well and honestly to be fair babies are really hard to hold I have been freaked out by holding babies
1: <laughs> yeah they're harder than you think but yes
0: yeah, no, just their necks at a certain point. But but that's valid. But yeah, so later on, what was the switch over to, to children's books then?
1: Um, well, I took a class when I was in school. Um, and it was a, uh, I forget what it was called. I think it was like picture and word or something of the sort. And it was a, um, a class with, uh, I'm gonna forget the names now. Uh, one was Judy Sue Goodwin Sturges And the other one was, oh man, I just, uh, she has an imprint at Little Brown now. Uh, I want to say it's Elizabeth something. Starts with a T maybe. Uh, But uh, that class was really good uh, to at least help me understand somewhat about picture books. But I didn't, you know, it was one of those things where it was just a small little sampling. It was not a big, uh, beautiful, like, dive into kids' books. And what really changed that for me was when uh we had a kid, honestly. It was mm. all of a sudden I'm inundated with board books and uh, you know, Goodnight Moon and all these things. And I I looked through them and, and some of them I was uh pleasantly surprised and some of them I was horrified as to how strange or weird or, you know, being an artist, I don't know if this happens to to either of you, but being an artist, I cannot look at a picture book. That is uh, that is not artistically um, exciting to me without or no wait, yes, even if the story is great, let's put it that way. even if the story is great the the visual has to be there, otherwise I lose mm-hmm. interest in a way. and it's not to say that there aren't great stories that have you know mediocre images. I'm sure there's plenty of fabulous stories out there like that, but just as a visual person, it's the same thing with like looking at bad design. Or uh oh, what was it? I was looking at the other day where I was just it was just hard to look at because it had <laughs> too many typefaces or it had, you know, like little things like that. Um and so uh I think that got me vested in the idea of well, I could probably do this. Like mm. I can I can be better than these. And uh <laughs> I want to show them up and I don't think I have yet. But uh having them around really made the difference and sort of like go made me go, huh? And then uh, at the same time, I actually got my offer for my first book and wow, that was sort of, you know, uh, a jump off the cliff into the world of kids' books. And it was sort of, I've been going nonstop ever since, basically there's been some gaps, but the <laughs> illustration, like my freelance stuff for editorial was hit or miss. And it just depended on when jobs rolled in, but I've always sort of had a book on my plate for the most part since the beginning. And so it's been the most consistent. Let's put it that way. But there are gaps. There was there was a gap during the pandemic that uh, scared me.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, keeping that up, building that career. Um, I feel like you're someone who, because when I was looking at all of the, the list of your books on your website, you've had you've had one to three books come out every single year since you started illustrating picture books.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first one came out in 2017.
0: That's what I I'm saw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw 2017. Was,
1: uh, yeah, you can read. I mean, again, I started it in 2015, but it came out in 2017. But then, yeah, it's been pretty consistent, about two a year, somewhere in that range. Um, and, you know, that's on top of other stuff that I'm doing. So it's uh, it it's taxing, but at the same time, it's it's fun to have multiple come out. I mean, I had a couple, of, a couple of years where I had two come out within a week of each other, which wow. is kind of exciting, but also scary, because then are they going to compete against each other for sales, mm-hmm. and I don't think they would, I don't think anybody's out there going, <laughs> going like, well, I can only choose one mark book, what's it going to be, <laughs> uh, I don't think that's an issue, um, but it is, uh, or that it's going to be like, once, they have to pick one for the New York Times bestseller list, like that hasn't happened, Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's been pretty consistent and it's been fun. It's been a lot of work, more work than I uh, I would like to admit, but it's been fun. You both know, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Angela debuted.
0: <laughs> she just debuted recently, like last month. Yeah, I saw and that. This? It's awesome. Yeah, last month now. This month. Yes, it is a lot of work for sure. It's
2: like <laughs> I've never been on social so much in my life, right? you know, like <laughs> getting myself out there and responding and being accessible to others and it's a
1: lot of work that yes. is almost like more laborsome than yeah. the actual making of the book is yes. the marketing side and the like having to be present of sorts yes. is, is a lot of work especially for people and i don't know if this goes for both of you um i know it probably doesn't show up online here uh, but when i'm out in person i'm not the most like uh extroverted mm-hmm. I, I tend to like sit in the back and watch. I enjoy that. When I'm on screen like this, it's fine. Conversation with a one on one is fine. Mm-hmm. But uh being that person who doesn't want to go out and brag and talk about themselves is is a little hard on that end. But I got my wife to sort of uh be behind me, pushing me and shoving me into into <laughs> conversations that I don't particularly want to be in.
0: You have a good oh. team. But I I've seen I've seen your wife's work on and, and support of you and that's been really cool. And I'm sure yeah that's helpful yeah. especially for those moments you need to push
1: <laughs> yeah no no she is definitely a uh, a a good marketer mark marketer yeah Market. you're right yeah, marketer yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: that sounded
1: weird all of a sudden uh, but no she's very very good about that and and keeps me on track and actually like all the gavin Doodle stuffs i've been doing she's yeah. the one that does the calendar and the schedule for it She's like, oh, this is who you have this week, <laughs> and make sure you do an ad. Like, I had to post an ad today, and she's like, make sure you get that up by noon, and make sure you do she's your manager, ads. essentially. Yeah, yeah, essentially. yeah. <laughs> and she gets paid. She gets paid the zero bucks. That <laughs> along with
0: that so, oh, um, I need. I need one. <laughs> yeah.
1: As I've said, she is not. She she only can tackle my job right now. Otherwise, I would. Uh,
0: no, if she no, Could handle
1: more. I would. I would uh sell her out to everybody but yeah
0: <laughs> she sounds so good at it
1: yeah
0: but I know you juggle you juggle a lot like you juggle you have your and doodle you have your professor you have editorial <clears throat> illustration like we've talked about books so I'm just curious speaking of like the kid table curiosity and wonder that's so important for creativity and so I'm just curious like how you keep that alive when you're juggling all this and not how do you avoid burnout
1: uh, that's a good question. I so. Hmm, I have to think for a second. I mean, for the most part, I don't get in my studio to make work a lot unless it's for a contract job or the Gavin people. Um, most of the time, I am, you know, teaching or doing other things like just the amount of emails that I answer in a day, just being a professor takes up a long chunk of the, the, the day. And so. Uh, getting down in my studio just for fun is rare, and so the gabba doodles have really been that for me in a way—just a, a way to converse with people. And so the the opportunity to make something that is not um, not intended to be published, and I can just be, play and have fun—I think is the the thing that I've gained from. And I've I've even recently switched materials somewhat, or added a new material with the collage stuff in it, and it's been exciting and fun every time. And so I think having that sort of set time with, with no rules of any mm. sort. And I know it's scary yeah. to some people to come on and like have to talk and make something and you don't know what you're making. Um, but I have found it to be advantageous for me and challenging. And I think I've turned out some really good pieces out of it, for my portfolio and things of the sort. Um, and so that's been the like uh, shackles off uh ready to play sort of environment as compared to the commercial sort of contract work um Mm -hmm. that feels much more regimented and like structured and I have to follow um sort of what the dummy book is or what the sketches are and the timeline etc and then all of a sudden I have those gabadoodles and and it's like well what do I want to draw tonight I don't know like I know this next one I'm doing something underwater no idea what it is um and all I probably decide yeah, I probably won't decide until maybe five minutes before it starts or after it starts and I'm just sketching. But that's, to me, that's the fun part. But some of that comes from the teaching though. I will, I will say that like being in an environment where students come in with ideas or problems and you have to solve them relatively quickly, that does mm-hmm. help build that skill of that. Like, you know, the, the uh, ideation, I think, really comes from that sitting in a classroom trying to help people through their mm-hmm. problems.
0: I like that you call it a skill. Go
2: ahead, Angela. Yeah, it sounds like you um, you allow yourself a lot of like space to play and to there's no rules and to kind of let your um, mind run free a bit. But is there anything that typically you find like inspires you or lean on for inspiration, even if it's free? Sometimes we have certain you know effects in our lives that influence
1: how we think and draw and so a lot of the a lot of the things that inspire me so i've I've talked a little bit about this on the gabin doodle and and um i think it holds true for a majority of my life in general i don't it's going to sound kind of awful especially we're talking about art making and things of the sort um i don't find art that inspirational for me and i think i part of it and this is going to sound weird but i've i've seen behind the curtain and I know how or I've seen how the hot dog is made uh, of sorts and I know like what goes into it. And so looking at artwork, like when I go to a museum, I oftentimes look and go like, oh, I see what color they use there. Or like I see the brushstrokes. I see what they did. That makes sense to me. Um, or, you know, I, I I would think, OK, that's how I would make that or solve that problem. Um, and so it loses a little bit of the like the uh, the mystery. Mm -hmm. of sorts and so what I look for for inspiration oftentimes are things that are unrelated to art or that are tangential to art and so I end up looking a lot more at uh, things that are uh, interesting to me that I don't understand so oftentimes like uh, I'm most interested in how plumbing works because it just doesn't make sense to me so like I end up putting a lot of pipes and things into my work, if I can get them in there, I'm gonna put them in there. And they don't make any yeah. sense, like perspective is wrong, but like, oh, uh, a U, or a, what's it called, a U-trap? No, uh, uh, yeah, a U-trap, I think. Uh, in plumbing, it's like, that's a fun shape. And so I'll use that shape because I was just looking at a bunch of plumbing or I'm like looking at a documentary about black holes and they have some interesting graphic and it's like, oh, I like the shape they used or I like the colors they used or these things. And so that stuff gets pulled in but I'm not out there going and looking at like artists all the time and going like, how can I mimic them? Which I think also helps for those trying to like find a style or to um, somehow find their niche is to not try to imitate your heroes Mm -hmm. and not try to replicate what someone else did, but instead try to find your own path or your own, like set your own goal. Let's put it that way. And so I think that in turn has made it easier for me to um, sort of define my own aesthetic like i I hope i hope that people look at my work and can say it's my work and it's not someone else's work
2: Um, oh definitely
1: to me it it looks wildly different every piece does but i'm sure that there's some uh consistency that people see but i think that comes from me not being reliant on trying to pull other people's styles into my work as much if that makes any sense it does make sense i think like
2: when we when I'm writing, I study mentor texts. It's just looking at the technicalities and maybe how they solve from C to C. Yeah. It's like when you're looking at other people's art, you can appreciate it. And I think you're, you understand like, oh, the brushstrokes and this is called this. And it's kind of the mechanics of it. But to your point, it's like, that's it's kind of the baseline foundation, but the inspiration and the art, I think, comes from, like you said, just things that interest you. And, yeah,
1: life yeah, in a way. Mm-hmm. And I agree, I exactly. absolutely agree with that in the sense that like, Uh, I can look at something I can appreciate how something is made but I'm also I'm very critical of things because of being in especially in the collegiate world where I
2: do Mm. critiques
1: on a regular basis that uh, I can watch a movie and immediately afterwards go well why'd they put that shot in there like they really should have cut out that scene and it doesn't mean I dislike it but I just Mm. I happen to live in a world where a critique is a good thing and so uh, when I look at books or I look at paintings or things of the sort, uh, I don't look at them with this awe that you would get if you didn't know how the person did it. Uh, and so that's, I don't know. It's that makes way. total but, sense. Yeah.
0: No, no. I, I loved everything you said. And it, I feel like that makes total sense because you start developing a critical eye for things, but then it's hard to turn that off in yeah. your particular field. So <laughs> finding inspiration outward, like that's, that's really great advice. Um, I'm going to take that into my own creative yeah. creative process. Um, There's, yeah, oh, go, go ahead. On, go on. Oh yeah, I was just, um, I was going to ask about some of your books that I know are coming out, so if you wanted to say something before that about this topic, you can.
1: Oh, I was just going to say there was a time that I remember coming out of a movie, and my wife and I both worked in animation at, a, at, at that point, and we were at a movie with my parents, and we walked out, and we were critiquing it, and my mother stopped us and said, don't you guys ever like anything? <laughs> like it was purely just like she didn't understand that you can critique something even though you like it. Um, and because she was in that, you know, she's never been to art school or been through that sort of like environment where it's just critique, critique, critique for hours on end. Uh, she just read it as a negative review. But it was just a like, it was a minor little point. But that was it. That was all I was gonna say. So,
0: oh, I'm I'm really glad yeah. you shared that because it made me think of um it's like when you're receiving a critique on your work from a critique partner or someone, and the more comments there are, sometimes you feel like, Oh, that means my story is worse. And, you know, and I don't think that's always what it means. I think someone who's invested time in you and to put that much Mm -hmm. feedback, they obviously are invested in your work enough to have that critical eye. So it kind of made me think of that.
1: The, yeah, the best critiques that we have in school are the ones where it gets really nitpicky because I mean, almost it's, when you get down to that level, you are really, um, you know, when you're fine tuning, essentially, that's where you get like, oh, you should move this little thing over. And uh. But if it's a really kind of a bad piece, most of the time it's like, well, you could think more about it and come <laughs> back later with it. And so, like, it's this, like, just gloss coat on top of a critique. Uh, so I
2: will um, remember that when someone critiques my work, if yeah, it's broad yeah. strokes or a broad stroke line class. level. So if,
1: you, if you hear, I really, I really like it or it's interesting like at that point like no if they're not diving deep into what they like about <laughs> it that's generally they don't know what to say so at least that's my my theory
0: <laughs> let me so, so Well, one it helps when you get a lot of feedback so that your mind doesn't start going in a negative spiral of yeah oh yeah. no so that's that'll help <laughs> <laughs> next time I get a critique <laughs> so I wanted to make sure we had some time to talk about your wonderful books coming out because you have. Uh-huh. Three coming out this year, which crazy, right? Oh
1: yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Three this year.
0: <laughs> you <laughs> remember right them? Like,
1: <laughs> oh. Well, I was trying to track. The problem is, I made them so long ago that I hmm. forget when they're coming out. So honestly, like, I know one comes out in the middle of this month, uh, March rather, yeah. and then the other ones are like somewhere in the summer, somewhere in the fall. But I couldn't give you a date unless I look back at the contract. <laughs>
0: yeah no worries no worries at all um so the note who faced the music is the one coming out March 14th
1: yep yeah Lindsay Vanilla yeah
0: oh Lindsay Vanilla yes and so I was curious um what what was your favorite part of illustrating this story or like what I guess because you've done your own writing and illustrating before have, the same yes. story and so yep. I guess what were some of the challenges of illustration only that you face or differences when you're approaching that kind of work
1: So when it's my own story, I kind of have a vision for what I want on every page before I even hand in the manuscript. That's, you know what I mean? Like I already have stuff planned out. When I see the sketch, I'm like, I know exactly what it should be in my head. When I have someone else's manuscript, there's a lot of trying to figure out what did they want this to be? And like, what did the author expect? And there's been times where I handed in something that was very different than what the author expected. And other times where it's been like spot- on, and it really just depends on the manuscript and how much description is there, uh, how much leeway they give you, et cetera. Uh, with the note who face the music, that one was challenging in a couple of different ways. I think one of the, one of the big factors for me is I don't know music. <laughs> like I, I listen to music and I love music. Um, but if you ask me what's, what's a half note look like versus a, you know, quarter note versus, what? Well, I don't know. I had, I had to have a cheat sheet in front of me. In fact, when I sent in the final, uh, sketches or no, I guess it was the the first pass, my thumbs, I sent them in and they wrote back saying, you have a bunch of them backwards. And I was <laughs> like, oh, okay. You know, I'm reliant on Google images, just a, an image that says, here's what they all are chart of sorts and somehow I drew them backwards in the process and so um, I learned a lot of terminology in a lot of the books because I, I mean for the most part I won't say all of them but a lot of the books I've done have had a educational slant to them they're not just pure narrative so there's like a back matter and things of the sort and so I learned stuff about them uh, and so like the the penny book I learned a lot about how money works and there's multiple in that series and I've learned stuff that I never knew about. Um, In fact, I don't even know. I do have, is it this? The next book I'm working on. Here's a little sneak peek. Um, Yes. (laughs) This this is kind of fun. This isn't the book, but this is a sneak peek from the book. Uh, The next one I'm working on is about a credit card. And so I got early versions of credit cards. This is called a charge plate. This is an early credit card right here. This is wow. for the Lit Brothers. It would be specific to a um, to a store. It would have your address. You could put it in and it, it would, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like, not mimeograph, but carbon copy. Um, oh, it has these little notches so it would line up with stuff. And this would be tied to an account at that store. And so I was researching. So I found out. I was like, oh, this is cool. I wonder what these are. And I went on eBay and so I have to send one of these to the author in case she's watching. One of these is going to come her way. Um, but I bought a little pack of them. So I could say that I actually own like an original credit card. And they have people's ad. Like, I don't know who Irving Ewan is. I can tell you what his address was. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure he is no longer because these are from like the late 1800s. Uh, wow. And so,
2: did get those. Yeah. Uh,
1: just eBay. That's so why I found them. <laughs> Um, and so like, I found out all this stuff about credit cards and like, you know, I always heard of diners club cards, but now I know why it was called diners club cards and like how it started. And so they all have these educational sort of uh, angles to them that I have to research, even if it's going to be cartoony, even if it's going to be a frivolous, like one little joke in a corner, they still have to be dealt with of some sort.
2: That's Actors and actresses, when they're uh, in a movie, sometimes they have to learn like a different language or how to ride a horse or so you're like really getting into character by doing that research and kind of training yourself. I
1: I can tell you exactly on a penny exactly where all the, you know, in in God, we trust the liberty, the date, all those things. I can tell you exactly what's on every single coin because I had to look at them over and over and, and paint them over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, speaking so. of that, that character design, I know you said that one was tricky. I love how it turned out. Like the penny of oh, how to make that a character you. and where to put the yeah. eyes and all that.
1: Thank yeah. you. The, the credit card should be pretty cute, too. Um, I, forget, I don't even know. Oh, Goldie is the name. She's a little gold card. Oh, <laughs> like, cute. So,
0: yeah.
1: She's got a little so skirt you, and like 50s little ooh. collar on her and stuff. So.
0: Okay, I can't wait to see her. She sounds adorable. Um. I, so do you like... It's kind of applies to what you said before. Your strategy is to staying creatively engaged. Do you specifically seek out stories that have that educational side, or is it just kind of what's been thrown to you?
1: Just yeah, what's been thrown to me. Okay. For the most part, Um, I think the publishers that I tend to work with. There's two publishing houses I've done the most of the books with uh, that have narrative stuff but they know me as someone who does this kind of thing and honestly if you have something that is like personified like a penny or a musical note uh oftentimes those come with a bit of education with them it's sort of uh you learn how something works uh you know when i did fruit bowl my first authored one it was the same thing it's like personified but also tells you how a fruit works um so i don't know it's it's been that and it's been potty humor those have been my uh my (laughs) go-to's
0: Yeah. Oh, great. So um also, I really, really quickly, because I was like, so excited when I saw this, that you're illustrating a book for Dave Eggers. I just had to ask about that Soarin' Seventh Song. That's coming yep. out later this year. And so I was just curious yeah. what that was like, working on that, because how exciting, Dave Eggers.
1: That one was weird. That one was, uh I got the contract, not weird. It was good. But uh, <laughs> I got the contract. And I was like, this name sounds really familiar. Why am I, I was, I remember being out at the craft store, like buying some supplies and I was looking, I was like, this name sounds really like, I know this name and I haven't read any of his like novels. I've seen some of his kids books and stuff in the past, but didn't connect the dots. Uh, And then I looked him up and it said that he was up for a Pulitzer for his um. For his novel, uh, and then he he wrote on movies. He did the like helped with where the wild things are, the adaptation of that, and blah blah blah. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, this is a big name. And so I got really excited. And uh, it's the first time that I met an author before, not in person, but just talked on the phone and whatnot. But uh, talked with the author before the book was made. So there's lots of conversations about what they wanted. What they were expecting etc it was all done i never got his email never got his phone number it was all done through his assistant <laughs> so would just, it'd be like dave is ready to talk now and they'd jump in the people
2: wow. <laughs> he's <laughs> at he's that also, level
1: yeah he's also <laughs> reclusive though i think you know he's someone that's known to be relatively reclusive and, and sort of um uh introverted and so uh we've had conversations we talked a lot but there was a lot of trying to uh really nail his um his interest in the book and so there was lots of edits more than i've ever had on any book of any sort trying to just get it perfect because part of it is uh they even like wrote into the contract stuff like if it goes and ends up on the new york times bestseller kind of like thing like this is what you would get out of that because certain I've, I've had books where like if you reach a certain amount of uh uh sales that like you get a little bump or things of that sort mm-hmm. and this one so. had a little bump in there for that I don't know if it will even come close to that I have no idea um but it was also a long picture book so it's 54 pages of uh of uh, so there was how many spreads normally it's 13 it was 26 spreads
2: yeah something like that yeah it's like twice.
1: wow yeah it was it was twice it's twice the length it's two picture books basically in one And I did all the paintings in a matter of fifteen days, which was—it's not so hard.
2: Because of the deadline, like was it nonstop?
1: Take a break. I so I went to Paris over the summer and was planning on doing it digitally. And I thought, oh well, I'm there because I was going to be there by myself for a few nights. I was like, I'll just work on this digitally. And I started the digital work and didn't like it. And so I said, okay, I got to do it painting when I get home. And I started to paint, and I was having so much fun just playing with coral and just adding all these little extras on the piece. And it got more painterly than what I have in the past. And so it was more fun. And I just, you know, I was doing like two spreads a day. It was kind of ridiculous.
2: Holy but cow. So you an just carnation kind of, hits. Yeah. yeah.
1: But then there were lots <laughs> of edits. Keep in mind, there are lots of edits. <laughs> So it wasn't as fast as I wanted it to be. I thought I was like, man, this is going to be beautiful. They're going to love every bit of it. And they come back, can you change this, 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 you know. Um, That's a good got, thing,
2: remember? Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> They're invested. Yes. They love yes. it. it. It
1: was good. Um, no, it just, it was, uh, it was, and nothing was huge, honestly, in the edits, but it was just a lot of little tweaks um, just to get it just right and i'm waiting i can't wait to see what the book looks like when it comes out uh format wise and colors and all that kind of stuff so but Same i've worked with a, i've worked with the publisher before so i have a sense of what kind of quality they do so i'm not concerned about that i just i want to see a physical copy so
0: yeah well we can't wait yeah. i mean that sounds awesome and if kid you who was so into illustration had no idea about this cool job saw you today. I was just curious what what you think, kid, you would think of where you're at right now and all your books. Uh,
1: He would wonder what happened to me physically. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, what went wrong? Uh, I was, when I was that age, I was half my weight and same height. I was a, uh, I was a skinny little kid. Uh, But uh, I think I would, it's weird. It's a good question because I think I would be excited that I'm making art, but I also think because I had no concept of kids' books being something that would be fun to do, I think I would question, why did I choose kids' books or mm-hmm. picture books? Mm-hmm. I think I would question the, the output, not the process. Uh, and I also think aesthetically, the stuff I'm doing now is like, if I were to go back and show it to my high school self, um, I, when I got out of college and I became an adult, uh, there was a thing called, I refer to as crotch punch music, which mm-hmm. is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's the I idea can't wait is to hear my, this. if my college self, if I went back in time and talked to my college self and say like, these are the bands I'm into now, it'd be like, I really love John Denver and like this kind of stuff that my, my college self would have punched me in the crotch uh, <laughs> because he was so upset. <laughs> and so I feel like, the same way that like if I went back to my high school self and said like look at this cool style of artwork I do now that I would I would my high school self would have been very upset and probably would have uh hurt me in some physical <laughs> this is the best answer <laughs>
0: ever
1: yeah feel free to use that term crotch punch music
0: oh I will from now on <laughs> I mean so it was funny. when I was
1: in college it was like punk music and hardcore and whatnot now I'm like I love me a good like uh quiet folky song that's yeah. so far removed. He's listen to
2: like Enya yeah. in the background Enya yeah.
0: <laughs> <talking. laughs> yeah. not quite that, but <laughs> a crotch so. punch for Enya. Yeah, yeah <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Mark. I hope you all go out and pre-order The Note Who Faced the Music from your local independent bookstore. Thanks to my delightful co-host, Angela Pham Crans, Check out her beautiful book, Binding Papa, Whiskey Geraldine for our music, check her out on SoundCloud, and author Joanna Rowland for sponsoring this episode. Find her book, Big Bear Was Not the Same, at bookshop.org. If you would like to sponsor an episode, simply sign up as a paid subscriber of our At The Kid Table newsletter on Substack you liked this episode. I hope you share it with a friend. There's always more room at the kid table.